Because of a computer issue we encountered during the recording, the audio quality on this message is unfortunately pretty poor. However, due to increase in demand for this message in particular, we've decided to make it available. Thank you for your patience and grace as you listen to this message. We are praying that God uses it to challenge, encourage, and build you up into who He's called you to be. When I was a kid, we traveled a lot. We traveled a whole lot. And uh, by God's grace, uh, we were uh, part of uh, a family that had a little extra. And so wherever we traveled to, we flew. So we always were flying everywhere. Every time we had a family vacation, uh, very rarely did we drive. We just kind of jumped on the flight and then we left. So I got used to flying all the time. But then after around the age of eight or nine, that kind of stopped. And so I hadn't gotten on the plane for a lot of years. And I remember going to Great America, and uh, my cousin wanted me to go on a ride with him. And uh, my dad usually went on rides with me all the time. I may have been about 12 years old. And it kind of freaked me out because this ride was going to go really, really high. And it wasn't until then when I realized my fear of heights. Like, I was deathly afraid of heights. I got up there, and listen, I'll, I'll be frank, it was just a fair school. But it was pretty high up in the air, and as a 12-year-old, that's pretty high. And when you don't have your dad next to you, who's always been with you through everything, through thick and thin as a 12-year-old, it was just a really scary place to be. And from then on, I had this fear of flying that I did not want to go high in anything. If I walked all the way to the top of these stairs and I looked down, I would get vertigo. I did not want to be anywhere that was high. I didn't want to be thrown up in there. I didn't want to go on a trampoline just because if I got up, I would go down. I'm like, oh, I'm way too high. And so I didn't like being up in the air. And then came the time when I had to take an internship. And my internship was in Walt Disney. All the way down in Florida. <laughs> and so I said, so dad, road trip, right? He said, no boy, I'm not driving to Florida. You're going to jump on this flight and you're going to go. And at this time, I'm like 19, 20 years old. And I'm just like, I don't like flying. Anybody here who, who doesn't like flying or doesn't like heights or anything like that? See, there's a couple of people here. I don't feel so bad. So I wanted to go on this internship, but I did not want to fly. Have you ever had a time in your life where you had to like psych yourself into something that you knew you were scared to death of? Yes. Whether it was somebody, a family member or a friend coaxing you to get on a roller coaster, or maybe that stupid thing that you did when you were like 16 and you were scared and everybody else was like, come on, let's do it. And you're like, no, I want to do it. And then it kind of worked out bad for you. You shouldn't have done it in the first place, right? But a lot of times we have these things in our lives that we're afraid of, that we're afraid to go forward with, and we have to psych ourselves up. Maybe somebody this morning was sitting in, in their house and they're like, okay, I'm going to go to church today. I'm going to go to church. And you got to the door and like, no, no, not today. And they're like, okay, maybe, maybe today. No, not today. But you're trying to build yourself into this, this courage so that you can go somewhere or do something. Maybe if you're a teenager in here, maybe if you're an adult, is to ask that person out. And he's just like, man, I, I want to do this, but I'm afraid to do it. I don't know what is going to happen if I get rejected. I'm just, I'm afraid. 
So there was an article in Forbes magazine, and they interviewed uh, some elderly folk. And these uh, elderly folk had gone through their careers, and they were retired, and they were just kind of living life, and uh, they were looking at the last leg of life, and they asked them, what is your biggest regret? And the older folks said, I wish, it was almost unanimous, I wish I would have taken more risks. I wish I wouldn't have been so afraid. I wish I would have just done what I wanted to do, what I thought I could do, what I was too afraid to do. And think about it like this, for me, jumping on that flight and being so afraid, I'll tell you, I got on the flight, and listen, I'm like 19, 20 years old. So I'm pretty much a grown man. And I'm sitting next to this little old lady. And I'm trembling. And the flight gets going. You know how the plane goes? It goes and it taxis and taxis. And then it stops. And I'm like, wait, 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 why are stopping? <laughs> and what you don't know is that they're gearing up to take off. And those engines are about to turn on real quick. So I'm like, okay, stop. We're not going anywhere. And then I know I'm like, whoa! And it starts going, it's going, it's going, it's going, it's going, it's going, on. And I'm looking out the window, and I'm like, why are you looking out the window? This is like you're glutton for punishment, and I'm scared. And as soon as the plane takes off, I grab the little old lady saying, she looked at me like, what? And then after she just, she realized how afraid I was, and she put her hand on me to start calming me down. I got to my internship, and it was the greatest experience that I had. I got to meet some amazing, incredible people. It set me up for a career that I love. I just absolutely was blessed and was catapulted in my early career success because of that internship. But what if I were not yeah, What if I was too afraid to get on an airplane to go? Because I know there are people who miss opportunities because they're too afraid to do something. And the thing about it is, is that going to be you 20 years from now? Is that going to be you 30 years from now? Is it going to be you 10 years from now for some folks who are a little older than I am? That was a lot of said. But that's what we came to talk about today. And the thing that we came to talk about today is simply this. The game will change in your life. If you're willing to take risks. The game will change in your life if you are willing to take risks. And today, you and I have an opportunity to make a decision that may change the game in our lives. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Speak to us this morning. Change the game, Lord. Give us courage to take that risk today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Do me a favor, go to Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. That's where we're going to be at. The hour is almost past, and so I'm going to try to go through this message as quick as possible. Today's communion Sunday. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. House crew will get one to you. We also have some pens, so if you need a pen, go ahead and raise your hand and we'll get a pen out to you as well, too. So check it out, we're in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. 
Let me give you a little background of what's happening right now. Uh, Jesus is now officially starting his ministry. So Jesus is going around and he's calling his first disciples. And what a disciple is, is just somebody who is a follower. Somebody who sits under the teaching of somebody else. Somebody who says, hey, I'm validating your ministry because I believe what God is doing in and through you. And so I'm going to sit under your teaching and follow your Wisdom. And so that's what he's doing right now. And as a 30-year-old in their culture, this is when it happened. A rabbi or a teacher couldn't become a teacher until they were at least 30 years old. And what they did is they would go and they would gather students all around them. And they would begin to teach these students everything that they know to help shape these students so that maybe one day they can all become a rabbi as well. So that they can carry on this teaching that uh, they're teaching them. I'm pretty sure uh, you've heard the text if you grew up in the church. Take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What the yoke meant was this teaching. Jesus was saying, take my teaching upon you because my teaching is easy and the burden that it brings with it is light. So that's where we find Jesus now meeting his first disciples. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18. And this is what it says in verse 18. It says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brothers, casting their net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So Jesus grew up in this uh, region of Galilee, of Capernaum, in this area, and there was a sea that was next to it. It, was, it wasn't landlocked. It was, had a sea on one side and then a small little lake that they call the Sea of Galilee uh, uh, in the middle of this region. And uh, Jesus, because of what we know about his story, he was kind of like a wonder kid. I mean, when he's like 12, 13 years old, he's in the church building, he's in the synagogue, and he's reasoning with all of these teachers, these high-level scholars, and they're like, holy smokes, this kid! Why does he know so much? But at the end of the day, Jesus uh, goes on and he lives with his parents and he, he, he plies his trade, meaning he's, he's working daily, steadily in his job. And I'm pretty sure people are coming by and when they're asking him to fix something because he was a carpenter and they're talking to him and he's, he's spitting all this knowledge and they're probably thinking, man, this is a smart kid. This is a really interesting guy. He seems to know so much. And so he was probably well known, and he comes up on a group of fishermen, Simon, who we know as Peter, his brother Andrew, and they're casting a net into the water. And this net is like, um, it's a cast net, it's got little uh, weights around it, and what fishermen did, they threw it in there, and as it was dropping, it was trapping fish, and then they would jump in there and grab the net, and they would drag it back up, and individuals would help them pull it up. And so this is what they were doing, they were applying their trade. These guys were everyday workers, they were just doing what uh, they needed to do to take care of the bills. They needed to, to, to pay for their home, and they needed to uh, send money to their grandparents, and they needed to uh, just take care of what they needed to take for. They were in their careers, yeah. like many of us sitting in this room. They were just working day by day, doing that thing that they loved, doing the thing that gave them life, doing the thing that, that let them feeling like, I've accomplished something today. You ever feel that when you had a good day at work? 
When you're like, man, this is great. I worked hard. You go on Facebook and you tweet that. Man. Hashtag work hard. Hashtag don't sleep. Hashtag sleep when you die. <laughs> Feel real good about yourself because you accomplished something. That's where they were at. They loved what they were doing because it was something that their family did. It was a family trait, and it was following the family's tradition. And the traditions that we're in every day is work. We grow up. Our parents tell us go, go to school, get a job, work, uh, save money, jump into you and get your 401k, retire happy, just just work until you can enjoy life later on. But here goes the switch. Point number one. Jesus most often calls us from the very thing we hold most in. This was their livelihood. This was what they were going to do for the rest of their lives. They had found their sweet spot. They were good at this thing. And so in verse 19, we follow up with what Jesus says to them. And he said to them, after he sees them on this boat, he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. Follow me. He's saying, abandon your job right now. Abandon everything that you know to do. Leave it all and follow me. This wasn't a situation where he was was, was suggesting maybe a thought. Hey, would you... uh, he didn't come up there and just say, like, you know, they're, they're working. He comes up on the job. He's like, hey, guys, how you guys doing? Oh, good. What's up, Jesus? Yeah, we know about you. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, man, you're a little kid, dude. Yeah, man. We love, love you. Love what you're doing. He's like, hey, so, guys, uh, since you love what I'm doing and everything, would you consider, like, you know, kind of maybe if you don't, if you get a little bit of time, maybe, like, if you get to clear up your schedule a little bit, would you mind, like, kind of following me a little bit? That's not what he said. Jesus said, follow me. It wasn't a question. It wasn't a multiple choice. It wasn't, Isaiah, you've been in school, you've been taking those tests, and they give you multiple choice questions. Literally, you see multiple choice questions on your test. Jesus wasn't giving you guys, he wasn't giving them a multiple choice. Remember when you were when you were young, you were in school, and you wanted to date somebody, whatever that meant. When you were in the third grade, you're like, "Will you go out with me?" I don't even know what that meant. It's kind of like, "Hey, will you go out with me on the playground or something like that?" And then you had that little sheet of paper that you would fold up nicely and send them that had hearts on it. And Kyle smiled because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. He's like, "Will you go out with me?" Yes, no, maybe. And you prayed. Then you would at least get a man. Because that means you were spelling again. And she was playing hard to get. This is what Jesus was doing. It was simple, but an authoritative statement. Follow me. Point number two Jesus doesn't speak in suggestions. He speaks in directives. 
we approach our faith, sometimes we approach Jesus as if he's given us options. Hey, you know, like, when you have time, you know, did you, did you spend a little time with me? And sometimes even, even the music that we listen to uh, kind of helps feed some of this stuff. Some of the Christian music that's out there, not about Christian music, I love Christian music, I love secular music, I love, I love all kinds of music. But some of our Christian music is like, oh, he longs to be with you like Jesus said. And I'm like, oh my God, I wish they would just love me. Like, are you serious? This is how we treat Jesus. And that's why it's so easy to dismiss him. That's why it's so easy to be like, you know what? I don't feel like spending any time reading the Word today. I don't feel like going to church today. Because we look at Jesus as somebody asking us out on a date, will you spend a little time with me? Yes? No? Maybe? Verse 20. Actually, actually, in verse in verse nineteen, it's still there. It says, "Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men." Fishers of men. What does that even mean? Imagine going up to the gym. You got all these new bodybuilders. I don't know why I went like this. I guess it's the bodybuilders. But they're at the gym. They're working out. They're pushing way hard. And you come to them, and you're like. We're going to get some men. <laughs> like what type of reaction are you going to get? Right? But here's the deal. And this word men, this word men that he said they knew exactly what he meant. It was anthropos in Greek, and it just means human being. He says, I will make you fishers of people. Yes. I'll make you fishers. I'll, you guys are finding men. You guys are, I mean, you guys are catching Fish, you'll be able to catch people. And you'll be able to change the entire trajectory of their life. You'll be able to transform their lives. Yes. Follow me. And remember we said last week, vision precedes practice. He was telling them what it was going to look like. Yeah. He's like, look, I'm totally changing your vocation right now. This was your job before. And this is what your job is going to look like. You're going you're gonna to catch people. And their lives are going to be transformed. Yeah. Verse 20. It says, immediately they left their nets and followed it. Immediately. Yeah. Without hesitation. They just got up and they left. You see, now, as I was studying this, when Bible writers... Uh, when biblical writers wrote the Bible, everybody wrote from different vantage points, right? And at the end of the day, when you're trying to get a point across, you can't have time to write down all the nuances of everything that was going on. But what if, what if in their minds they thought about it? What if they doubted? Dude, you're making me leave my job? What if, as he's saying, follow me, I'll make you fishes of men, they're processing in their mind what this is actually supposed to cost. Like, dude, so I, I just gotta leave? Like, so what's the timeline like? Like, I mean, am I gonna come back and get back into my career? I mean, is this a lifetime commitment? I mean, what are you, what are you saying to me, Jesus? 
I, like, what, what, is it, what does it mean to follow you and be fishers of men? You understand that all of my savings are wrapped up in this job. All of my livelihood are wrapped up in this job. My kids' college education are wrapped up in this job. The house that I want to buy is wrapped up in this job. The life that I want to live is wrapped up in this job. What does it mean, Jesus? Follow you? Imagine what their friends would have thought. Right? You serious? You know he's a carpenter, right? Like, you know his dad, Joseph. And, and, and if, if we're really real, that's not really the real dad. You know his mom was like, they said she had a miraculous birth. Yeah. How many girls you seen had miraculous births in our community? Their friends must have thought they had lost their mind. And sometimes following Jesus will cost us that type of ridicule. Our friends will think we're we're losing our minds. I'm thinking about a friend of mine, his name is Nathan, in fact, and he was actually even on that video, he was leading worship. Him and his wife, Amanda, abandoned their job. They had an awesome job, a great church, and they were working full-time, and they had their 401ks, and they were building up their careers, and they had a beautiful house, and God says, no, I want you to go be on mission for me, and they dropped everything. And they said, I will follow immediately. Immediately, they left everything that was meant to secure their future. Immediately, they left. Hey, here goes Faith is nice until you're actually called to be faithful. Point number three. Jesus doesn't call us to be a temporary volunteer, but a lifelong servant. But there's more to this story. What would make them just leave? Oh, what would make them just get up? And go. Hey, have you ever tried to convince somebody who didn't believe in Jesus to believe in Jesus and make a decision to follow him right there? Hey, have you felt the apprehension that comes from that? Have, have, you, have you experienced that tension you see in somebody's life where you're like, Hey man, you know, I just, I just want you to listen. I'm in the decision for Jesus. Is the best thing that ever happened for me. Uh, you know, you should do the same thing. They're looking at you like you're a fool. Follow some mythical dude in some mythical book. So why did they follow immediately? And this is what we find out: that Peter and Andrew had actually been followers of Jesus for about a year. These individuals, let me tell you something. So, there's a situation where John the Baptist, he's Jesus' cousin. 
John the Baptist was called by God to prepare the way for Jesus who was coming. So John the Baptist used to go and he used to preach that, hey, the Messiah is coming, the kingdom of God is coming, and he would go baptize people, and he would say, like, listen, just repent and believe, and you'll be baptized, and you'll come up, you'll be a believer, wait for, this, uh, for Jesus Christ to be born. The Messiah is coming. The Savior of the world is coming. Repent, repent, repent. So everybody knew, and he kind of developed a name for himself, and he, he was seen to be this legit dude, so he had a lot of followers. People followed him. They were his disciples. And so there's one time, he's hanging out with his disciples, and he's baptizing like he does, and he sees Jesus walking up. And he says, whoa, there goes the Lamb of God. That's the dude who I've been talking about. Listen, I baptized this guy. I saw him come out of the water. The, the dove, uh, which meant the Holy Spirit, came and descended upon him. Like, I heard God validate this dude. Jesus is the real deal, guys. And there he goes. Check it out what he says, John 1, 40-42. says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, who's Peter, and said to him, We found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said this. Get this. This is awesome. Listen to what Jesus says to Simon. Remember, Simon is where we get that saying, you know, a cuss like a sailor. That was Simon. Dude was like the rawest uh, fisherman, like thumb dude forever. Like for real. And he says, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Cephas means rock. And if you know anything about Simon, Peter's story, he wasn't too strong like a rock. Because at the time when Jesus was being crucified, he ran like a little girl. No offense, little girl. Vision precedes practice. God was speaking life over his life. He was speaking vision into his life. Uh, but throughout the course of time, they followed Jesus. Jesus is like, they're like, hey, show us where you live. And he's like, dude, listen. I ain't got no home. I'm out here wandering. I'm out here just teaching folk. And so throughout this process, they were probably like, yeah, you know, maybe this isn't the smartest thing to do. So they went back to their job. But they believed in Jesus. They followed him. And here's the deal. Uh, it's easy for all of us to get back to business as usual. We come to church, and we hear a strong word, and it cuts us at the core, and we're like, mm, that was good. Oh, wow, yeah, man, that's convicting. And then as soon as we walk out these doors, we go right back to business as usual. As if nothing happened in our life. We make a decision. We follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. You're in church. You're, you're crying. Yes, Jesus, I'm with you. Come on, let's go. Let's do this. And then you go back, and then your Facebook posts look like you don't know who Jesus is. Jesus was not calling people who didn't know him. Jesus wasn't calling some random guys that didn't believe in him. Jesus was calling people who said they followed him to follow him. Jesus was calling Christians to follow him. 
We get so caught up in trying to save the world, and our own soul is damned to hell. Point number four. The call to follow is not limited to the non-believer, but to the believer who claims to follow Jesus. Doesn't that shift our thinking a little bit? So yeah, all this time we've been thinking about, man, you know, we so many people in this community who need Jesus. Have we examined our own hearts? Are we really following? And as we call people to follow, as we are we following along with them? Or do we have an appearance of godliness but denying the power within? Verse 21. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. <coughs> he knows the cool thing that God kind of spoke to me about this. No one has the monopoly on Jesus. No person, the pastor doesn't have a monopoly on Jesus. He calls everyone. Churches don't have relevant. I love relevant church. I love our mission. I love our vision. Relevant church does not have a monopoly on Jesus Christ. There's other life-giving churches even in this community. And we're not talking here about universalism. We're talking about unity. That God calls people uh, to His faith to Jesus Christ. All. From every walk of life. That if we passionately follow Jesus, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life. So the same grace he showed on you, he showed on others. The same place he found you, he's finding others there as well. And this should give us confidence. This should not make us feel bad about ourselves. Man, I was so bad. I did so wrong. Man, I made all these mistakes. What was me? Guess what? There's other people who are being found in the same exact place. There's no perfect people allowed. And then on the flip side, it keeps you from keeping others at such a high standard that you're like, oh man, they're better than me. You don't know their story. They're probably doing the same thing you're doing. So, Jason John, right? Verse 21 says, Going on, son of Zebedee. So, and going on from there, he saw the two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, the bow of Zebedee, their father, bending their nets, and he called them. Here goes the thing about James and John. James and John were athletes. These guys were actually kind of like rich kids. These kids who came, uh, who, who had a lot of money. These kids uh, had servants all around them. How do we know? Because Mark 1.20 says this. And immediately he called them, talking about James and John. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their highest servants and followed him. See, when, when you think everything is going good in your life, 
But you feel like, hey man, I don't have health problems. I don't have money in the bank. It makes it a little harder to follow Jesus. It, it, it makes it a little bit more difficult to make that decision to say, hey, I'm going to walk away from uh, all of this that I have and put my faith and trust in Jesus. And some of us struggle following Jesus because we think we have it good. You have good jobs, good savings. I remember my dad, I asked him, um, I said, Pop, when we were growing up, we were so affluent, we had so much. Like, why do you think God allowed you to get to this place where we went through a period of life where we had lack? And you know what he said to me? He said, Son, I know exactly why. Because when I prayed the Lord's Prayer and I said, Give us this day our daily bread, I never led to it. Because I had everything I wanted. And some of us, that's our biggest situation. Following Jesus isn't about uh, uh, being afraid of what it is. This is listen to this. The biggest hurdle of following Jesus isn't the fear of what he's calling us to. It's the fear of what he's calling us away from. And some of us have head ups that we don't want to leave. We've got places in our lives that we're holding on to that we're coddling, that we're saying, I don't want to go. It doesn't matter what you have over there. I like this here. I like my comfort. I like my peace. I like my sin. I like my addiction. I love my money. I love my kids. I love, I love, I love. I just don't love you that much. Verse 22. It says, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. It's interesting. Why did Jesus go to Peter and Andrew first? Why did he go to James and John first? Was was Peter and Andrew, were, were they blazing a trail that maybe we don't know about? I think we find our answer. I love the Bible because whenever you get stuck at a moment, you're like, hey, you know what? I'm just curious. Why did you go to Peter and Andrew first? Why did you go to James and John? Check it out. Verse Luke chapter 5, verse 10. This is right after Jesus called Peter and Andrew. It says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. There was a relationship between Peter and Andrew and Simon. They worked together and, and James and John. They worked together. So imagine that. Jesus knows if I go get Peter and Andrew, it'll be easier for James and John to follow me because why? There's a relationship that can be influenced right there. Everything Jesus does is intentional. Peter and Andrew have now become the trailblazers for James and John. I can just imagine the conversation. They're like, Dude, so you really following that guy? Man, I'm serious. Like, you've known him for like the last year. We've been watching his life. It's been amazing. 
And we love uh, what he's doing and we believe in his ministry. And we're going to go, man. And really, I think y'all should go with us. And because of their relationship, because they trusted Peter and Andrew, because they've been in business together, they're like, you know what? I trust these guys, so I'm going to follow Jesus. Who has God placed you to be a trailblazer for? God has said, follow me to you. Who are you blazing a trail for? Who is he putting you in relationship with that? At one point in time, they're going to come to you and say, so what's up with this Jesus thing? What's up with this church thing? What's up with this faith thing? And you're going to be able to say, like, I know Jesus. I've followed him for like a year, two years, ten years, twenty years. And guess what? It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And they know you, and they trust you, and they love you. So they're like, you know what? Based off of your witness, I'm going to follow him too. Because I know you're legit. Point number five. Our last point of the day. Our call is not only to passionately follow Jesus, relevant church, but also to live passionately and inspire others to join the journey. We are that church. Faith is for me, but it's not about me. My relationship with Jesus is for me, but it's not about me. Both Peter and Andrew, James and John, and the rest of the disciples, we know Matthew, we know all these other guys who had good jobs and they were in their careers and everything was going good, but they liked the good life so that they could embrace the God life. Are we going to do that as well, too? Because the game changes when we take risks. The game changes when we take risks. See, the disciples weren't under the spell. These were, these were individuals that God called. They, they probably weighed their decisions. They counted the cost. They, they figured, man, this is going to be a hard deal. But they took the risk. And their decision not only changed the game for their life, but it blazed a trail for you and I who are sitting here today. So what will it take for you to change the game? What is God calling you to walk away from? If you would leave this one thing, you can experience the life that I have for you. That thing that you can hold on to, we all have that thing. And all this week, I wrestled with God. I'm like, God, this message is a little difficult because I've got a thing. You've got a thing. As old Baptist preacher used to say, you got a thing, I got a thing, all of God's children got a thing. This is what I'm going to ask you to do one simple thing today. Make a risky decision. The game changes. 
rest. We will take a rest. So make a risky decision. When you walked in, all of you should have had a sticky note in front of you on your hand. And today, I believe God is telling every single one of us in here that you've got one thing that you keep holding on to. Maybe it's your job. I'm not saying quit your job. I'm just saying maybe you're putting that in front of God. Maybe it's your comfort. Maybe it's your leisure. Maybe it's your how you see Jesus. You see him as this passive, weak, demigod. And he's like, I want you to see me as a Lord of Lords and a King of Kings. The author and finisher of your life. Maybe risky decision. Maybe uh, for somebody in here, that risky decision will be actually following Jesus for the first time in your life. Jesus went to the cross and suffered punishment, suffered ridicule, suffered shame, so that he could pay the penalty you deserve. Because you're messed up, I'm messed up, we're all messed up, and only through Jesus Christ do we find our perfection. So today maybe it's you. And if that's you on, on your connection plan, just check out. I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe for somebody else is being baptized. And that's going to change the game of your life. Not because baptism is magical, but because you're saying, I'm dying to myself and I'm living in Christ. And let me ask for the Christians in Because remember, Jesus wasn't talking to a bunch of non-Christians. He was talking to believers. People who claimed to follow him. He came to them and said, follow me. I should tell you something. What's your one thing? Make a risky decision today. Let me close out with this verse. I'm ready to go all over my time, but I, I just got to share this verse with you guys. It's found in Philippians 3. This is Paul. Somebody who had all the clout. He had all the prestige. He had everything that he needed in life. He didn't need this Jesus thing. He didn't need to do any of those other things. He was like, man, he could have been good just where he was. And this is what he said. After experiencing Jesus Christ, Jesus followed me and Paul followed. And this was the result. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I count them as 
eternity to follow you. In Jesus' name, I pray.